0: to have jim here the expert that i won't say he's the sex expert because you know it's the weird it's the weird thing yeah but i said it and there it is so he, I said it, um, but um, just tonight we're really excited to look at a lot of really comprehensive strategies,
1: um, and he's gonna let you guys in on some really great stuff. So um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad Jim is here, um, blessing our community with
0: this opportunity, and um, and so without further ado, the expert, everybody, Jim Burns. There I'm on Do you know how embarrassing it is to be A called a parenting expert when my girls would say, "You're wrong?" and then B being called a sex expert, um, which is actually crazy. Um, anyway, I'm th- thrilled you're here. We're going to work through something that maybe I, I've, you know, Jeff wanted us to do, you know how to talk to your kids about sex um, at the beginning, which is great. Uh, this might have been more foundational, because what I'm actually going to do is co- go back to the foundation. Uh, most of us were we, we actually parent by circumstance and chance. Um, most of us don't have a plan and a strategy. We either parent exactly like our parents because they were really good, um, the few of us, or a lot more of us probably parent the exact opposite as our parents. Okay. And and you know what's interesting is you know Doug Fields and I are doing a big marriage conference. Is anybody coming to our to the refreshing your marriage conference who's in here? Awesome. Okay, great. It's a great conference. It's next. It's this weekend, and we expect you know thousand plus people. But when we were, one of the things we talk about is one of the reasons there's marital stress is because we're not on the same page with our children, okay? And so really what I'm going to do is take a step back. Talking about sex or talking about creating a media safe home or talking about drug proof your kids or those kinds of things, those are sexier than what I'm going to say today, but this may be more important. And so I want to start with this bottom line, The bottom line is this, you're not raising obedient children. I don't care if you have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and a six-year-old or if you have a 16-year-old, your job is not to raise an obedient child, okay? To do that, you put them in chains, put them in the closet, beat them, they'll be obedient. They'll be crazy, and you're crazy, but that's how you get an obedient child if you want. Um, You're raising responsible adults who love God. And some of you might have, because I've been talking, I mean, I do bring up God every time, but we are in church, and I'm actually going to kind of bring the God strategy in on this one. But when we look at responsible adults who love God, that's the goal. And so in reality, we have to parent differently to do that, okay? And yet again, if I said to any of you, if I said, what's your plan? Almost all of you would have a great plan, but your plan is going to be all different. Interestingly enough, the Jews all had simply one plan, okay? Now, now here's the Bible quiz, okay? (coughs) What is the most often quoted scripture in the Bible? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. No. (laughs) I actually know the answer. I'm not even sure Jeff knows the answer, and he's a lot smarter than me. Throw another one out. All of you Bible students, pastor types, youth worker types, throw another one. Okay, John 3.16. Train up a child child in the way that they would go. That's in Proverbs. No, but that's good. Love one another. It's a great one. No. (laughs) I feel, so, I feel so good, I actually know the answer. Love the, Lord God. Love the Lord God. Actually, it is that. It's called the Shema, and it's in Hebrew, and actually, if you're looking at your notes, it's right at the front. This is by far the most often quoted scripture, and let me tell you why. No doubt about it. Every morning in an Orthodox Jewish home, it's quoted right today. It was quoted during the time of Jesus. Every evening in an Orthodox Jewish home, it's quoted again. So it's quoted twice a, a day. Now, John 3.16 is great. Train of a child is great, but we don't quote those every day. These people quote it every single day. Imagine this. Jesus, our Lord, as a baby, being held by Mary, maybe even at the manger, and she's reciting what I'm about to recite to you because that would have been the first words that Jesus would have heard out of Scripture. Isn't that amazing? So let me read it to you and tell you why it's their plan and their purpose, but why we can do this too. The Bible says this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your (laughs) strength. Now that sounds familiar to some of you probably because that's what Jesus quoted. It then goes on to say, these commandments that I give you today to be written upon your hearts, impress them on your children. Now two things already out of that. Number one is, as parents who want kids to be responsible adults who love God, as, as, as parents, it's our job to teach them faithfulness and fidelity to God. Okay. Now I'm guessing that most of you really want that for your kids now and you really want it partly because one of the reasons you come to this church is because we've got the hillary types of the world who are helping our kids do that but it's not their job it's not jeff's job it's not rachel's job it's not hillary's job it's not high school ministry's job it's not the volunteer's job it's actually your job okay and so for the jews their job was to love god with all of your heart and it's fascinating even when you look at that it says there's one god well The Jews in that day ran after other gods, see? And and their gods sometimes were like literally Baal and these other gods. But it's the same with us. We run after other attractive distractions. And today, if your kids love God, let me just say it this way. If your kids love God and if your kids live for God, they will be less sexually promiscuous. They'll be less involved in drug and alcohol abuse. They'll get better grades. And the list goes on and on, okay? So one of the reasons why, our only reason isn't just for you know, to come to church or have kids get to know God. I mean, obviously, we want them to get good grades, but that's not the, the major reason. But it's pretty fascinating. And in fact, fascinating enough in the Scripture, and I could, I could exegete this whole thing in a cool way, but the word Lord is, is Adonai. Maybe you know that Hebrew word. This is written in Hebrew. And Adonai means Lord or Master. So one of our jobs as parents is to help our kids understand that God is their Master, their Lord. But then it tells you what to do. It tells you, number one, to live it out, okay? So when it says right here, these commandments that I give you today are to be written on your hearts, it means write them on your hearts, live it out, and then it says impress them on your children. So what that means is, it's actually your job, not Hillary's job, if you junior high kids. So it's our job, the, the dominant job would be ours. Then it even tells you how to do it. And again, every Jew um, throughout history who's an Orthodox Jew, when asked, how do you go about living life? They would go to the same scripture passage. It's their passage, so to speak. Okay? And it says this, and, and this is how we do it. It says, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and, and write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. So in other words, when you're walking along the road, for you, you're driving in your car or SUV. When you lie down, when you go to bed, when you get up. So you're bringing the presence of God naturally into the home. It even says, tie them as symbols on your hands. And for the Jews in that day, it meant take God to work. And then it says, bind them on the forehead. It actually means put the word of God into your mind. See, it's kind of cool. It even then says, uh, write them on the door frames of your houses. Anybody here been to Israel? Okay. Um, pretty cool to go to Israel. And if you're in Israel, or if you're in, on 3rd Street in L.A., um, where there's a lot of Orthodox Jews... Every Orthodox Jew has something called a mezuzah. You can look it up. You can Google it if you want. And a mezuzah is on... Now, pretty much, it's on the door. And for some reason, they put it on the side, and there's different reasons why, but nobody really has come up with the right reason, probably. Or, or, or I mean, there's too many reasons. But inside every mezuzah, in every home, is the Shema. So it's like the Shema is you're walking on the Holy of Holies. Okay. Now, what did I say? I said, actually, this is what they do. They, they teach you how to have a constant mindfulness, But really, they're reminding the parents that it's the parents' job to help kids live a life of faith. I want to show you a quick video, and it's about gumballs, and it kind of explains one of the reasons why. So here you go.
1: There are 52 weeks in a year. That means that there are 52 weekends that a person could possibly come to church. 52 weeks that a child could come to experience kid or student life at our church. But we know that with vacations, sickness, travel for sports, a perfect attendance record is not particularly realistic. According to research, a child in a family that normally attends church is attending approximately 40 weekends a year. 40 hours a year that our kid or student life ministries have to lead and foster the spiritual direction of your family. 40 hours a year, that's it. However, a parent of that same child has approximately 3,000 hours to teach, communicate, and lead. Not 40, 3,000. So who should be in charge of your family's spiritual formation? Who is really discipling your family? Deuteronomy 6 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In kid and student life, we get 40 hours. You have 3,000. 3,000 hours to lead and foster the spiritual direction of your family. So is it possible that what happens at home is more important than what happens at church?
0: It's a great illustration. because It's a, actually a little pitch for a, another church that does something on Wednesdays. But it's a great illustration for us to remember that actually we influence our kids. Who, who's the most important influence in a kid's life? Spiritual. Dad? Mom. And actually, all studies show that it's a mom by far. Can dads do that? And are there dads in this room that might be? Absolutely. But by far, it's mom. Secondly, is dad. Us dads need to buck it up because we're really not doing a very good job. But kids around America would say it's the mom. Then dad. Then family, which could be grandma, grandpa. It could be aunts, uncles, or whatever. Friends and peers. And then the church. So, you know, people like Hillary, I'm, you know, picking on her here, but people like Hillary and myself. Who have worked in the church we go whoa wait don't we have a spiritual sure we do and in fact i was probably more spiritually influenced for a season with my youth pastor when i became a christian at 16 than with my parents but my mom influenced me even to the negative see so it's fascinating for us but we want to make sure that we understand again what we call the shema shema in hebrew is a word we're going to learn a couple of hebrew words tonight and it just simply means to listen okay and so you know this is the word to them this was the word of god and What did I say about Jesus? So Jesus learns this Shema when he's a child. So he had it memorized, I mean, at his bar mitzvah, he would have quoted it because at every bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, they they quote it. But what's fascinating is is Jesus was tested. And when Jesus was tested, he was asked this question by a bunch of, you know, different rabbis and, you know, Pharisees and Sadducees and whatnot, and they were testing him. And they said, what's the most important commandment? And we as Christians think he is so incredible because he said, well, you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul. He quotes the Shema. You know what all the Jews did who were testing? Went, oh, okay, he's one of us. Because all of us would have answered it the same way. That's what's phenomenal. See, like I said, some of you may have an idea, you may have a different idea, but for them it was all the same. And it was love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul. Now, this is where he could have got killed. He said, and the second one is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what's fascinating about love your neighbor as you love yourself, that's not in the Shema. That's Deuteronomy. That could have got them fighting because every other Jew would have just said the Shema. So Jesus, in a sense, changed the Shema. So one of the things we want to be able to teach our kids is love God, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. So even that you would take care of yourself and your own soul and things like that. So what I want you to do as parents tonight is not just think of yourself as a parent getting through till Thursday. I want you to think about parents being a discipler of your kid. And what that means is, I call it personally tailored discipleship, because your 8-year-old is different than your 10-year-old, different than your 4-year-old, okay? And yet also, you know, what worked for your 10-year-old may not work for your 8-year-old. See what I'm saying? So it might not work for your 16-year-old, and so we, we personally tailor it. So what are the spiritual needs of your kids, and how, as a, as a parent, do you think through some of the spiritual needs of your kids, and, and really... Do you take the lead? The, you know, the scripture here is a discipleship scripture, and it says this. Um, and the things that you have uh, heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men and women that uh, w- would also be qualified to teach others. So in other words, what you're learning, you teach your kids. Obviously, you don't teach your kids if they're younger in the same manner as an adult, but it's your job to impart this, see? And, and we do this in uh, personally tailored discipleship. Let me kind of give you what I call the four phases of ease. It's kind of the four f- phases of discipleship. So I figure you want to eventually teach your kids, depending on their age, to make their bed. The earlier, the better, actually. It won't be great, but, you know, you can still make their bed. They can still make their bed. And prayer. So we're going to give the illustration together. So if I'm teaching my children how to pray, I need to do it first. And they're just going to listen, okay? But actually, I have to realize that I'm teaching them or I'm training them. So when I pray, I might even say, do you know why I say amen do you know why I, I say our Lord or Almighty God or our Heavenly Father, however you approach God, do you know why I do that? And actually, here's the reason why we prayed for, you know, grandma today or for, you know, whatever. But you're kind of teaching, but you pray, okay? Now, if you're going to make the bed, first of all, you make the bed for your kids, okay? That's your job probably, you know, you don't want it to, but, you know, your kids aren't going to make the bed when they're young, so you make the bed, okay? But they're going to watch, And and you even say to your kids, even when they're little, it's not that they're going to catch this all, but this is why we tuck this in. This is why we do this pillow here. And you're beginning to teach them because if you have kids who don't make their bed by by the time they're a certain age, I would say 13, 14 at least, um, maybe even earlier, then I feel sorry for the people that they're one day going to marry because they're going to think that that's not part of their job. We need to train our kids to do certain things just like we'd need to train them to pray. Then it's I do it and you do it. So now you're at whatever age your kid is. You're going to pray, and then they're going to pray. Now, will they say the right thing all the time? No. Will they burp in the middle of a prayer? Sure. Will they do other things? Sure. Guys will, anyway. Um, will, will they pick their nose? Will they laugh? Will they giggle? Will they say silly things? Yeah. Okay. But it's still that you're, you're, it's your job is you do it, and they do it. So you do it together. Make the bed. Now you're going to make the bed. Do you think they're, they're going to do a great job? No. We typically just kind of go, you know what? You're 11. You're going to start making the bed. You do a terrible job. But instead, now we're easing them into it. I do it and you do it, okay? Then it's you do it and I assist. So in prayer, maybe it's time they get to a certain age. We're going to talk about stages of parenting here in a minute. And maybe they get to a certain uh, stage and you say, hey, honey, would you pray for lunch or dinner or whatever it might be? And again, they may not say it all right, but you're assisting. So again, because you're teaching them and training them, just like you would with math or anything else, you you might have to correct them periodically, but not in a negative way. You don't want to use God as a discipline you know, but again, you're going to do that, but the same with the bed, they make the bed now, hey, by the way, what I need you to do is, is, you know, do those pillows differently, or whatever it might be, okay, but you're, you're assisting them, and then they do it, because here's the other thing, not only are you trying to raise kids who will be responsible adults, but you're raising kids who will move from dependence to independence. the problem that we're seeing with what we call, I'm, I'm speaking in Hawaii next week, I know somebody had to go, and I'm speaking on one of the topics that I'm doing is um, parenting adult children. And I find that a lot of parents who say have adult children, like I do, I have 20-somethings, um, what they all are saying is, you know, my kids aren't responsible. Part of that's the parent's problem. Because, again, if you're parenting for, to be responsible adults, you're going to have to move them from dependence on you toward independence. And that's not easy. You know, there's kind of a weaning process, and that's not easy for the weenie or the weaner okay? You know what I mean. Um, but you, you follow what I'm saying in terms of, it's a weaning process, okay? And that's a part of this whole, you know, Shema thing. Now, uh, now and then, you know, as, as I said, you do it. Now, the, the internet, and that's kind of toward adulthood. But the fascinating thing is, is that means that we need to enter into having, you know, spiritual times with our kids. And man, that's hard. I mean, when we first started, we, um, gosh, I, I didn't know how to do it. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and, So Kathy and I went, we got to do this. And so, you know, we'd get all the kids together and we're going, shut up, sit down, you know, you know, quit picking your nose or whatever it was. And then we'd say, okay, now I would then open up the Bible and I would preach to them, so to speak. And all the kids would go, no, not devotions. We hate these, you know, and they were done. One day, Kathy says, I'll do it. And uh, I went being the passive aggressive husband, fine, you're in charge now. And so they did a play. And it totally changed things because now it was a play. And she brought, you know, fun food into it. She actually brought some chocolate. I have girls, so, you know, chocolate's like, you know, an aphrodisiac to them. So, you know, they had chocolate. There, there was some licorice. You know, they made it a positive thing. And, and it was goofy. But it was fantastic because they liked it and they wanted to do it the next week too, see? And so what we started doing was realizing over a period of time, I mean, how many, how many Sundays do you have with your kids? Man, you do that, Addy. That's going to freak you out because it's not very many. When you start looking over this, how many Fridays? You know, how many more days do you have with your kids? I mean, it's pretty crazy when you start thinking about it. So what we realized is we needed at least once a week do kind of a twenty-minute or we called it Kiss. Keep it short and simple. Okay, so I want to show you one. As my kids got older, they started doing some of this because again, we're moving it to them. So this is one that my middle daughter. Um who at times went, I hate these things, I don't want to be here, but she still had to kind of participate. She almost always went on YouTube and she found a video. Now, does anybody here speak Thai language? It's in the Thai language. There's little... English subheads. But here's your quiz. When I'm done, I actually want to ask you, how would you use this with your children? And, and literally, if you say, I have a five-year-old, fantastic. How would you use it with a five-year-old? If you have a 15-year-old, how would you use it with a 15-year-old? Okay, So, it's in the Thai language. It's a cool. It's, it's actually a telephone commercial in Thailand. <laughs> You. I didn't see you how are
1: you you're coming in boy go out
0: pretty powerful. So a kid shows us this. My daughter. Okay, and she's not like the most spiritually mature person. I'm not saying, I mean, she, she has a, a, a now she does, has a spiritual maturity, but you know, again, it's, it's something that you know, a kid found. Okay, and so then all of my kids started going on YouTube and just typing in inspiring videos and then we'd see a video pretty, pretty much. It was never a Bible study again. So now that you've seen this, what would you do? What kind of topic would you do to actually bring in some spiritual values for your kids? Give me, let's, let's brainstorm love your neighbors you love yourself it's a pretty it's a it's a perfect one what else golden rule what else you guys are so quiet today there you go wow jesus you know what i never thought about that jesus paid for our sins it's a perfect illustration good job you get this star today there you go okay what are topics do what Oh, I love that. Do what is right even if nobody's watching. How many of your kids, your, all your kids need to do that? Your younger kids can get that and older kids can get that. Compassion. I mean the word I could we could if we brainstormed, um, we could come up with all kinds of things. This is the kind of thing that I'm saying. Here, let me let me give you another one. This is out of a book called Faith Conversations for for Families. There's like 152 faith conversations. But this is actually out of the newspaper. I took this out. I remember the day I did this. Our kids got to be an age when they were in teenage years that we would meet in our, we have a jacuzzi, a spa, and we would meet in the spa. And I took this out of the Denver Post. Okay, now you have, a, you have to work on this because I'm going to ask you a question at the end. So I took this directly out of the Denver Post. As far as Regina Hammond is concerned, luck has little to do with it. The 37-year-old flight attendant won $100,000 in the Colorado lottery game on top of the $50,000 she won the previous year the same way. And she's not finished yet. Her goal is the multi-million dollar grand prize. Hammond, listen to this, Hammond believes that prayer has paved her way to riches. She says, I pray to God to help me, and he answers me by letting me win the lottery. Okay, anybody need to go buy a lottery ticket? Now, here's the deal. You have three options. One is you're going to say God answered her prayer. Number two, you're going to say God did not answer her prayer. And number three, you're going to be undecided. You can choose either one. Okay? How many of you think God answered her prayer? She prayed and she won 100,000, 50,000, and she was on to the biggers. How many think God answered her prayer? Maybe. Okay, so we've got a half. How many of you think God did not answer her prayer? Okay, one, two, the other half, <laughs> um, three, Okay, so you, not many. So that means, how many of you are undecided? Whoa, me too. Okay, so the point being is that your kids, when we're gonna teach our kids to pray, you, you give them something like that. How does God answer prayer? Well, sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. What does the scripture say about prayer? Now you bring that in. Now, how many of you had a problem with the lottery part? If there wasn't lottery, maybe you would if somebody would have prayed for cancer and she'd prayed for grandma to be healed of cancer, how many of you would have said, well, then that probably was from God? A lot more of you, see? Well, what? why? So she prayed in faith for, for one thing. Well, now we're going to get into selfish motives, and I mean, how many of your kids, when they get to a certain age, pray for, um, they didn't study, but they pray that they could get an A, or, you know, they pray for, you know, goofy things. I mean, I prayed that I could marry Connie Pinhall. She was beautiful in eighth grade. And I'm glad God said no. I mean, she's, she's probably a really nice person today. I'm not burning on her. She's... Um, but she's not the one that I married, okay? But I pray, God, let me marry her. Well, that's kind of a self-centered eighth grade prayer. So I had to learn that God said no, plus she was a lot cuter than me and you know, she, I wasn't even in the same group. How could I have thought that? But anyway, that's kind of the lesson of the Shema. So that's the kind of stuff you're gonna do. So I'm teaching you various lessons today. So that's a key lesson, a, a key, key lesson. Another lesson is another Hebrew word and it's called the Sabbath, now, we, see the, we hear the word Sabbath, and we always think of Sabbath as kind of a negative word, but the word Sabbath in Hebrew just means to rest. Um, most of you probably didn't come from a legalistic background. I sure didn't. But, you know, an older generation, they had, you know, kind of legalism when it came to Sabbath. But here's what I'm finding more and more about parenting and family, that we need to find replenishment for our overcrowded lives. Perhaps the biggest problem in America, it's not the stuff we talked about with sex or creating a media-safe home or drugs. It's... We're overcommitted. We're underconnected. We're tired. And some of you, even in your marriages, are dangerously tired. And if you're a single parent, you're just totally dangerously tired, probably. And so what happens is, is we're living our lives at too fast of a pace. And we're feeling that pressure now. And man, choosing to live where you live and where I live is tough. It's rough. And I'm not saying we all move to Montana and live in a commune. But what I'm saying is, is we've got to figure this out. Have you ever seen the sign that says speed kills? It's talking about driving, right? Well, speed kill, the pace of life is killing the American family. Okay, I had and I mentioned this in church one time when I preached, but uh, a, one time a friend of mine said to me, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I would say that he's slaughtering families right now because we're just simply too busy, overcommitted, and underconnected. And everybody in this place, I mean, if you're here on a Tuesday night and you're, you know, you're coming to a parenting seminar, you're amazing parents, but sometimes it's the amazing parents who are too busy. See? And, I'm, and again, I'm not saying the answer is go to Montana, like I said. I'm saying the answer is figure it out here. So that may mean that they can't be in three club sports or that they, maybe they don't need to learn French and Spanish at um, you know, kindergarten or whatever it might be. One of the things that's fascinating when we think about it is that there are what, what I call um, you know, some, some results, if you would. And, and one of the results is a loss of rhythm. So I'm kind of testing you today. You're just doing this in your head with me, but is there? do you have rhythm in your home? I'm not talking about this kind of rhythm. We definitely don't have rhythm in my home. But I'm talking about rhythm where do, you, do your kids basically go to bed at the same time? Do you eat generally the same? Do you get up at about the same time? If they feel a rhythm and I see people saying, yeah, congratulations, you're doing a great job. But too many families you know, have lost rhythm because they're too, they're too... How you know if you're too fast-paced is you're not doing that. These people probably aren't as uh, bad off as, and unhealthy as the rest of us. A loss of health, a loss of spiritual focus. We're too busy to do the spiritual focus thing. We're stressed out. We're at risk. When kids are younger, they're stressed out. They get tummy aches, and they whine a lot... Um, when they get older, they actually start doing at-risk behaviors. It's a proven fact that if kids are too tired and if kids are too busy, that they begin to move into at-risk behaviors because they don't know how to cope with stress properly. It's fascinating, okay? And then they become vulnerable to sin. So, and that that could be your story, but it's also the story of, you know, if if I'm stressed out or whatever, that's when I'm going to be short with Kathy. That's when I'm not going to be as, uh, you know, tied into my kids or whatever it might be. Well, we, we become vulnerable to sin. And so our kids become vulnerable to sin partly because we're, we're, too, we're just running them around so much. We're letting them dictate the schedule instead of us dictating the schedule. Um, I love what the Bible says. It says uh, here in, when we say kind of thinning out or just saying no, it says, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. I mean, That's an interesting word, refreshed. Do you ever get refreshed? If families are refreshed, and actually the Hebrew word is closer to the word he exhaled. So God took a breath. But too many families don't take a breath. We're just running, running, and gunning, and so we're always doing that, and what we really need to do is slow down. Say, how do you do that? Well, I like to say there's the pain of discipline or the pain of regret, and the pain of discipline says that it's going to take you to make some changes. And I think there's four areas that we have to look at each week, okay? And I have these four areas. For some reason, I used all the words "R." One is rest. Is there a time of rest for your family, okay? Now, you need a time of rest. Your spouse needs a time of rest if you're married. Your kids need a time of rest, and it's different, frankly. Kids need a different type of rest, okay? But rest is key. And I'm not saying that we all just say, okay, Sunday, we, you know, never turn on the TV. We don't have our cell phones. We light candles and, you know, eat birdseed or something. That, trying to lose some weight that might be a good idea for me but we have to be careful we, we we need a time of rest are you taking a 24-hour pace of life change i i have the privilege of interviewing people for a radio slash podcast and i was interviewing ruth graham who is the daughter of billy graham and ruth graham senior who's died her, they used to call her bunny i don't know why they have two ruth's in that but um she's ruth jr and we were talking about the, the graham household you know when Billy Graham. Had all of his kids living at home, they, they they Sunday was a Sabbath. I mean, they went to church. Then um, her, Ruth, his, his wife's mom and dad came because they lived right by there. They were physicians, or she was, he was a physician. And then they had this roast. And then they they didn't watch TV, and the kids couldn't play with friends. They could play outside, and it was just a whole so much slower day. I said to Ruth, "We were doing a, a show that when Billy Graham dies, and he's probably going to happen. This could be this year. Um, it was kind of an honoring him." I said, how did, how did you feel about that? She goes, I hated it. When I was a kid, all of us grandkids hated it. I said, how would you feel about it now? And she goes, I would love it. <laughs> she goes, so, so in, in other words, all the other homes are going crazy. The Graham home slowed it down. So this is one of these pain of discipline or pain of regret things. So is there rest? Do you proactively have a time of rest? Now, again, you may want to take a nap. Your kids get to a certain age after they, it's nap, they don't want to take a nap, but is there just a rest from the pace of life, okay? I'm saying this every week. Secondly, is there a time of refreshment in your family? A lot of times we're just pay, running and gunning and we go, guy, this, this family is not refreshing. What do you do to refresh your family, okay? I have a good friend who lives in Newport that um, they, their family every Monday night goes to Coldstone. Terrible for the diet, but the kids love it. And it's at, at Coldstone, they don't talk about grades, they don't talk about school, they don't discipline them as much. They just go to Coldstone. And it's kind of their refreshing time. They sit around and they talk. One of their kids now lives in Tustin, um, older, and every Monday night shows back up at the house and still goes to Coldstone with them. And so they keep going. And these guys are like trying to lose weight, and they're going, you know, how do you, how do you lose weight at Coldstone? But it's kind of their refreshing time, you know. Um, what do you do to refresh your spirit? Okay. Everybody does it differently. Like for me, this isn't a workout as much, but I take my dog to the. Dana, I live in Dana Point. I take my dog to the harbor most days, and I walk the harbor. Okay, it's not a, a huge great workout. It's just for me that refreshes me. Okay, so I need to find things as a dad that refreshes our family as well. Okay, and it's just we just need that that pause, that refreshment. Okay, for us, when my kids were in high school, they started going church is boring. Um, you know. We're not sure we want to go. We're too tired or whatever. So we started taking them to RJ's at the harbor, we, where, by where we live, um, breakfast place. And, so, and that would, it was like a union rescue mission. We, they would eat breakfast, and they had to go to church with us. And um, you know what? We still do that. And it actually, it's cost me big bucks now. You know? And sometimes I have my, my family would be six, but like we had four. No, we had three last Sunday. Um, and everybody doesn't, you know, I have a daughter who's up at SC, and, you know, they, she do not even live there, but she shows up a lot of times on Sunday. But that's a, that was a time just to, ref, it, for us, food refreshed us or something. I'm not saying everybody, I've just given two food illustrations, but it could be a rousing game of ping pong. It could be the family always watches, you know, a television show. A woman just said that she, her family is literally depressed because the mentalist is now off. She told me this today. And that her family would DVR it, and every week they would get around, make popcorn, and watch the mentalist. That's refreshing. Okay. Was it, is it like spiritually amazing? Not necessarily, but it was a really good idea to do. Plus the popcorn thing kind of refreshes them. So do you do this proactively? These are things that you might want to talk about. Okay. And then lastly, do you do recreation? I have a book back there in the book thing that's called 10 Building Blocks to a Solid Family. It's one of my favorite books that I wrote. And it's on 10 traits of healthy families. I didn't come from a healthy family, so I didn't know what a healthy family looked like. So for years, I did a study of what does a healthy family look like? You know what one of the number one traits is of a healthy family? They play together. Not that they go watch soccer. I mean, do that, please. That they watch hockey, that they watch dance recitals, that they you know, watch the dramas, whatever your kids are involved in, but that they actually play together. Now, again, if you have, like, 15-year-olds, they're not going to want to play with you like a 6-year-old. It's a lot easier to do it with younger kids. But is there a time of, of play and recreation? Play uh, brings... Um, you together. Uh, It's a close-knit thing, and so is is there plenty of time, you know, to play it if you would, okay? So the lessons we've learned are are two Hebrew words, um, Shema and Sabbath. Now, the next lesson is an interesting lesson. It's a lesson of what we call discipline and grace. Now, any of these lessons, I could go on for three hours. We're not, you know, keeping you here for that, but the lesson of discipline and grace is pretty important, okay? Again, at Homeward, we have We're the largest provider of parenting seminars in the U.S., and so we do seminars just on this subject. But parents need some help in that, and again, it's going to have to be age-appropriate, but here are five kind of overruling factors about discipline with your kids. Number one is rules without relationship equal rebellion. So if you're a a rigid rule person, and some of you are, some of you aren't, but if you're a rule person and you don't have a relationship with your kids, it's not going to win. And if you're too rigid, your kids will rebel. If you're too lenient, on the other hand, your kids will not have a rudder and they'll not necessarily rebel like rigid where they'll walk away from your values, they'll just walk away because they don't know where to go, okay? So we've got to be somewhere in between there, but rules without relationship. So relationship is a big deal, okay? That doesn't mean you're their friend. Get over that. You are not your kid's friend. Never say to your kids, I'm your friend. For one thing, you're too old. They think you're old. Now, I look at you, and you don't look old to me, but you know what? You're old to your kids. They think you're like has-beens, okay? So, you know, rules without relationship, but it's a parent-child relationship. Secondly is choose your battles wisely. There's too many parents who are always battling their kids, and you say, yeah, you don't understand my kid. I mean, strong-willed child, uh, you know, precocious child, whatever, and so I'm always battling. Then quit battling, okay? Win the battle, and you don't win the battle by yelling and screaming and hitting. You win the battle with authority, So what that means is, is, you know, like favorite phrases of mine, since I had three strong-willed daughters, is because we clearly expressed the expectations, if they blew it, there was a consequence, and I would go, bummer, you know what, we're going to have to do that consequence, and whatever, I'm taking your cell phone, I'm taking the car keys at whatever age, you know, you can't do this, or, you, you know, we're pulling you from this, or weekend's gone, or whatever it was. And then I would just simply say, if I was, they'd go, dad, that's terrible, or whatever, and I'd say, if I was your age, I'd feel the same way. Nevertheless. So the big word for me was nevertheless. That's the way it is. We've already agreed upon it. Okay. And so win the battle. Win the battle with authority. Okay. And that's it's just how it is. Walk away. Don't argue with your kids. Just walk away. Say this is how it's going to be. We're, this is not a, you know, this is not a, a a dialogue. There's lots of good things to do with dialogue with kids, but not discipline. Okay. You, you need to win the battle. Thirdly is is nagging doesn't work. I mean, if you're negative... Nancy or negative Ned and you're always nagging your kids? Does it really work? No. So quit nagging. It just simply doesn't work. And, and actually, may I say to you, if you are the nagging type, your kids will begin to run away, okay? Not run away like, you know, pack up and go to San Diego, but they'll, they'll go to their computers, they'll, they'll go to other friends' house, they'll jump in. Your spouse, by the way, will do the same kind of thing, so nagging is a negative way, and by the way, it's a lazy way of communicating with discipline. Okay. Now, fourthly, is don't be afraid to tell them and admit your mistakes. You know, every one of you have yelled at your kids. Every one, of, there's many of you who have, you know, got madder than you planned on getting, and you know, you showed it. So you just simply say, "Honey, I'm so sorry. That was all about me, and that was not about you." Okay. So you don't have to be perfect. Nobody here is perfect. The Bible says that the man or woman of integrity walks securely, and I'm convinced that if you're a person of integrity who walks securely, you'll have kids who walk securely. See, So, so again, you just admit it, and then, and then lastly, is clearly and most importantly, maybe, is clearly express your expectations. So I don't care if your kids are two, or if your kids are you know, 15, clearly express what the expectations are. Most of your kids want to please you. You know what? They really do. But a lot of them would say to me, if I was doing an assessment, they would say, I don't really know exactly what mommy and daddy want. And you go, wait, of course you do. But actually, mainly, we don't clearly express the expectations. Okay? Now, are they going to crawl outside the lines? Of course they are. They're kids. That's their job. <laughs> that's, their, that's their DNA. That's their, their, their deal. But again, when we clearly express expectations, then we're not... And when you clearly express the expectations ahead of time, then you're not always on the defense. Okay. So it's really important when it comes to this. Now, I want to make sure that we get this, because I call this the stages of parenting. And I take this out of the book called uh, Confident Parenting. But these are important stages. So the first stage is zero to two. How many of you in here have zero to two or pregnant? Okay, said so that as if you're not pregnant, are you? Okay. Okay, good. I never say to a woman that she's pregnant. And I almost could have guessed that she was, but I would never say it because she might go, you know what, I just had a big burrito today and, you know, that's the way it is. So, so zero to two, actually quite a few of you. Say, do it again, let me see. Zero to two? Okay, so zero to two. You're in, and it's a, that, that's a, a fabulous stage. It's also a hard stage because you're catering. What catering means is if your kid, you know, cries, you're going to pick him up. If your kid poops, you're going to change the diaper, hopefully. If your um, kid is hungry, you're going to feed the kid. But there's not a whole lot of discipline that goes on with this. Right? Okay. So you're catering. That's a catering stage. It's an exhausting stage. It's a beautiful stage, but there you are. But you're only going to be in the stage till there are about two. Then you move to what we call the controlling stage. How many of you have two to 10 year olds in here? A lot of you, gosh, a lot of you, okay? So two to 10. Okay. So you're controlling. That means you're micromanaging to the best. Meaning, especially between say two to six ish, you're basically I mean, you're telling them what to wear. You're telling them you know when they're getting up. You're telling them what they're going to eat. I mean, they really don't have a choice with a lot of that stuff. Okay, you're controlling. Okay, by the time they get a little bit older, toward the more puberty type, you're going to have to give them a little bit more freedom, and that's going to bug you because if your kid comes you know with their shirt that's green match and you know. Pants that don 't fit or something like that you 're like, Oh my gosh, you know this is ridiculous, but at a time you 're just going to have to go look at it they 're going to look really you know silly, but there you go. My wife has the same problem she 's still trying to control the way I dress. Um, I actually thought about her today. I had to be dressed up in a sport coat all day. So I went to my office real quick and kind of changed clothes. But I was thinking, Kathy would have never allowed the shirt, the pants, and the sport coat. It would have, like she would have went, But see, I left at 6 o'clock this morning. So she was actually just kind of getting up and going. And, and I put this stuff on because I really like that shirt. I really like the pants, even though they, they're not probably even close in terms of how to look. And she would have gone, oh, no, you're not walking out of there. And she would have controlled my, my clothes option. So she won't see it because now I'm dressed more how I dress. But controlling. Okay, now what did I say about this? You know, you've got to move them to, to becoming responsible adults. You've got to move them toward independence. So after 10, you move to another level. Okay, and we call that coaching. How many of you have kids who are, you know, kind of 10 to 14 or 15? Man, you got them in every angle, it seems like. Huh? Oh, you just have that one? Oh, my gosh. Dude. What's up with you, man? You're amazing called birth control no yeah whoever babysits for those guys is like okay i believe in birth control now okay there you go. um no that's awesome that's really cool but what the point that i'm saying is is we have to move to coaching now again for it's back to the weenie weener stuff this is really hard on the control freaks if you're a control freak you're dying right now at that stage because i'm going to say to you that you don't micromanage your kids at this stage your kids need to fail And so instead of being a helicopter parent, or even worse, meaning, you know, we called it at Homeward, we have something called the Culture Brief that comes out every Friday, and we call it the Lawnmower Parent, you're just kind of, you know, leading the way here, you actually need your kids to make some decisions. Now coaches still put kids on timeout, coaches still take them out of the game, coaches are in the lead, coaches are in charge, so don't think that I'm just saying, fine, they're 13, they can do it on their own, no. But again, you're moving them in little ways toward more responsibility, you're actually, we talked about, you know, sex and dating and that kind of stuff, but really, even at that age, why I love them being in junior high ministry and middle school ministry is because now they're beginning to actually even relate to the opposite sex, which scares some of you like crazy, but at the same time, make it in a safe environment, fantastic, see? So they're, they're beginning, they're not with you all the time, okay? Okay. Then you move to, say, at about 15, and you just moved into the consultant business. How many of you have kids who are 15? Okay. How many, how many did the 10? I'm not sure I did the 10 to 15. Okay, yeah, Oh, a lot of you, okay. So again, with that age, you're now moving to consulting. Consulting means that you still are in charge. Maybe it's, I think I was being cutesy with the C's because you're still in charge, but a consultant speaks into their life, but basically they're going to do what they're going to do. Because okay, they have freedom. They can get in a car, and they can lie to you, and they can you know, go and do other kinds of stuff if you want. So again, you're consulting. But what you're doing is, listen to this, it's really an important stage. There's only a couple of you with it, but you're preparing them for adulthood. Now, that's a scary stage, because you know, in your humble opinion, most likely, as with mine, when my kids were that age, they weren't ready. Okay, What do you do? You know, When I was five, there was a famous Olympic swimmer who taught swimming lessons in Anaheim, and he threw me into the water and said, find your mom. And guess what I did? I kind of like spit, sputtered, and I got over to my mom somehow. And so he taught me how to swim by literally throwing me into the water. Probably, I don't know that that's a good way of doing it, but when your kids are, are you know, getting older, then you really do want to move into the, consultant, into the consultant mode. And people go, you know, I, 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 during my, when I was in grad school, I went to Princeton, and my, in my grad work, I was working with freshmen uh, University students at Princeton, some of the most messed up people I've ever met. And part of it was because their parents had done their homework for them, and their parents had taken care of them, and so they made it to, to an Ivy League school, but they didn't know how to do some of the basic stuff. I mean, they were smart. They had to be smart to get in, but, but they didn't know how to discipline themselves to kind of get the work done. So you had a whole big group of people that were kind of crashing, but part of that was the parents' fault. Because the parents were, you know, so focused on them getting a good place. It would have been better for them to go to a community college and then go to Princeton or whatever it was, see? So, again, as parents, we've got to make sure that we work through the stages. Now, I'm in uh, the fifth stage. Anybody here in the fifth stage? You know, you kind of have young adults? I don't think so. A lot of times at our seminars, we have a lot of, of grandmas and grandpas who come and things like that. But... You know, I'm in this stage with my kids. I, I'm now caring for them. I'm I my day-to-day parenting is done, and this is what you actually want. You want your day-to-day parenting to be done, and your kids being responsible adults. Okay, and that's not that's uh, that then you reap the benefits. So when our kids were teenagers, they didn't think we were the coolest parents in the world. Today, they like us. They actually come to church with us. Um, you know, they have good things to say about us. They actually use Kathy, and they use me as a mentor in some ways. So my daughter Heidi and Kathy went on a trip to San Luis Obispo same time my daughter Becca and I. I was speaking in Kansas City, so Becca came with me. And both Kathy and I then talked about it. We went, well, we had like adult conversations with our kids. Becca was going, Dad, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And I guess Kathy and Heidi had the most, just a blast. And really, that's what you want. But unfortunately, some of you don't have that with your parents because your parents didn't do the stages stuff. Here I'm going? So again, that's an important lesson to, to learn, and it's the lesson of discipline and grace. Another lesson, I'm going to give you two more, and these are a little bit less time, and then we can take some time to, to uh, talk amongst ourselves, is what I call the lesson of blessing. And the lesson of blessing means that you're bringing security um, and honor to your home. If I was taking a poll of most of you most of you, not all of you, because some of you would say, no, I received a blessing from my parents. But, but a lot of you would say, I didn't really receive a blessing from my parents. I, we were in a couples group, Kathy and I, and there were seven couples. None of the women had said that they had received any kind of blessing from their parents. Or, I mean, yeah, I mean, they were like almost zero. And then a couple of the guys, like I, had a, I was raised in a non-Christian home, but my parents were kind of cool. And so I feel like I did get a little bit of a blessing. But I, wanna, I want you to, to think about this, and I want you to be more proactive in your parenting. And so I want to look at blessing in four different ways. Number one is what we call speaking the blessing. Do you speak the blessing to your kids uh, often? Okay, so speaking the blessing doesn't mean that you quote scripture to them, although that could be a blessing. I got to a place with my kids periodically where I'd text them as they got older. I would text them a scripture. And it wasn't a, ever a preachy scripture. I always want to pre- do a preachy scripture, but it was just more, hey, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And but they'd always write back, thanks, thanks. I mean, I, I had no idea that that was a big deal to them. Each night, we would, when our kids growing up, starting really, really young, um, for some reason, I had more of that duty than Kathy. And um, so what I would do is I would, I would speak a blessing to them every night. And that would, might be an affirmation or whatever. And then we would pray together. And then it was interesting because then I would all, I don't know how I got into this because my background is not Catholicism or um, Orthodox Church or whatever, but I would always put a, a cross on their forehead. I, don't, I didn't have nev, never did one girl mention except Heidi, my youngest, was afraid if I did that that she would get pimples on her forehead. So she said, "Dad, you can do that, but don't touch my forehead." <laughs> so Christy, my oldest, who's uh, with child now and an incredible woman, incredible woman, comes here every Sunday, and uh, she had gone through a really tough kind of breakup thing. She had gone to Point Loma, and you know, anyway, not a good story. And so she was at our house. She was back at our house for a short time. They do boomerang back, I'll tell you that much right now. And um, so she was back at her house, and she'd had a really tough go. And this was, I didn't every night pray with her. I mean, at this point, she's, you know, 20-something. But one day, I was kind of walking by her her room, and her room was downstairs. Ours were upstairs. Now, so we walked by, I think I was going to turn on the TV or something. And I could see that she, she was actually reading, but I knew she'd had a really hard day, Kathy had told me. And so I just kind of walked in, sat on her bed, and just said, boy, sounds like you had a tough go. And she said, I did, Daddy. And so should we talk for just a tad bit. And I said, would you mind if I prayed for you? And she goes, no, I'd, I'd like that. Um, not always one who said that when she was in high school. And so I, I, I kind of held her hands, and I, I just prayed for her, and I prayed you know, that the Lord would be present in her life and whatnot. And then I, I said, I love you, Christy, and I gave her a hug. And I started to walk away. She goes, Daddy. I went, what? Oh, my gosh, I'm going to cry. I hate this when this happens to me. She goes, Daddy. And she takes my wrist and goes like this this is like a 24-year-old now, and I went, unbelievable, I never knew in my life that that meant anything to Christy, see, and I don't think I've done it since, I did it on her wedding, We, we her, she got married in Kauai, and we were, um, we were gonna, we were, it was on the beach, it was an incredible place, and so we're walking through all these trees, and it's just me and her, and oh my gosh, Mr. Whiny Baby here, and I just, you know, so I have her like this, and I just go, Christy, this is a great day, and I am so proud of you, and she goes like this again. She takes my hand and she goes like that. Oh, gosh, sorry. What is up with me? But anyway, the point I'm saying is, is, is speak a blessing to your kids and speak it often. And if you think it's gooey or goofy, who cares? They, think, they do think it's going to be gooey and goofy, okay? But, you know, some, you know, there's some impressive, you know, scriptures that say how powerful your words are. Okay, so, so make your words powerful, but bless them with, with what you say. Also, believe the blessing for them. I don't care, again, if your kids are little or not. Your kids have probably at least a shaky self-image. You know, The Bible says we were created in God's image, but we get messed up on that. And so what you want to do is believe the blessing for them. Jesus looked at um, Simon and said, your name is no longer Simon. Your name is Petros or Peter, which means rock. Okay, so there was nobody named Peter two thousand years ago, but Jesus kind of believed in him, and he became the rock of the Jerusalem Church. See, so your job with your kids is to bless your kids by you believe in them. Now, don't believe in them by going, you're going to be an NBA basketball player if they're four foot six and they can't shoot a basket. Okay, or if they're you know, you know, somebody who says you're going, you could be the greatest artist in the world, and the young woman could can't draw a stick figure. I mean you don 't do that, but believe in their their integrity, their character you know we, we tend to, to back off because we 're also in the discipline mode, but believe in them And that 's a, a key way of, of of bringing honor and security to the home and then also be the blessing you know frankly i 'm sorry, but you 're called to be the role model. Do you have to be perfect? No, but you are a role model so you know today I was in a in a meeting, and a woman actually had accused. Um, me in terms of a teaching type of a thing in terms of uh, saying something that was inappropriate teaching not inappropriate like sexually but just she just thought i was i was wrong in terms of what the bible has to say and she had a really weird view of, of scripture and i was like i wanted to say you are like whacked out but instead i just went you know what i need to listen to you and i'm not sure that i totally agree with you but thank you so much for telling me that and Later, the president of the university that was sitting next to me said, you know, your answer was so gentle. I knew that, you know, everybody around this table knew she was wrong, and yet you were the only one who didn't just go, you're an idiot. Well, I, I, and it was. I thought about a scripture in Philippians that says, rejoice in the Lord always and be gentle with an answer. And I went, Lord, I need to be really gentle with an answer right now. This lady is not healthy emotionally. And so sometimes what I'm saying here is that when it comes to, and I'm not saying I always do it right, but what I'm saying is I need, I need to be a role model for my kids. I need to, they, they need to see me, frankly, putting Kathy above themselves. I mean, too many times in our marriage, we were child-focused, okay? And so they needed to see that, no, my marriage comes first. If you're a single parent, that's not the illustration, but there's another uh, illustration for you, whatever it is. But we're, we, we want to be the role model, Okay. So again, role models aren't perfect. Role models are just authentic and real, and that's what kids need. That's how you bless them. And then lastly is celebrate the blessing. Um, I, I wish I had a book for you. I, I actually worked on the edit today. The book's coming out in September, and it's called Pass It On, Celebrating Family Rites of Passage. And we start it. Kindergartner. So, if you had a kindergartner, you could use this. We have a little rite of passage that happens, you know, once a year, and then there's a rite of passage for a first grader, all the way up through a, to a manhood, womanhood ceremony after at, at high school, twelfth grade. And I mean, there's a purity code one, there's money one, there's a driver's license one. On the back, you, if there's a time when you give them a Bible, and there's you know, they get a symbol, they get a gift, and they get you know, their community speaking into them. It's a really cool thing. Okay, really cool. But I got this partly because I went, you know what? We don't celebrate our blessings enough. And the Jews did. They celebrated, you know, time blessings. You know, when you're 13, you become a woman, you become a man. But, you know, what about celebrating blessings, okay? So, you know, I, I know a couple. I mentioned this when we were talking about the sexuality thing. I actually know a couple that they had all girls like us, and they would always have a period party. I think that's a little strange, but, like, you know, <laughs> what they were celebrating was puberty, Okay? Um, Why not celebrate when you get a driver's license and make a big deal out of it? Why not celebrate graduation from kindergarten? Big deal. Instead of just saying, you know, oh, how cool you're going into first grade, make make there a a celebration, but bring a blessing to it. Find ways to bless your kids. One of the things we do in our family is every birthday, every family member's birthday, we go out to dinner. Okay, and even if we have it on the birthday and it's at our house, we always go out to dinner some other time. But usually on the birthday, and we do something where we call it affirmation bombardment. We've done it since our kids were really little, and so that means every family member writes three things: why, you know, a blessing, a, a, why, a affirmation. And so when the kids were younger, the affirmations were weird because it was like, "You have really cute green hair. Um, I really like this. Um, I like that. I don't have green hair. No, you do. It's kind. Of, there's kind of like this green piece right here. You know, they, it wasn't always. Perfect. But today it's remarkable what happens. And now we have some men in their lives. And so they sit in and they just go, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, we just do it. Okay. Heidi, it's your birthday. So then, you know, Becca says something. Christy says something. Now we have (laughs) Steve saying something. Drew, who's kind of like, you know, shows up a lot of times. He says things. Kathy and I say (laughs) things. And it's a blessing. So are you celebrating blessings of your kids? These are good ideas that will help you grow, help you become, have kids who will be responsible. My nose is running because I cried about the, the Christie thing doing that, and like now I'm a mess. Now lastly, and I actually mentioned these three words before, this to me is such a great lesson. And I call it generation to generation. We parent by trying to get through Thursday, but really we should be thinking generationally. And to do that, what we want our kids to, to have, by the time, the, the ability, the skill, the knowledge, it won't happen at this age, but it's the skill, ability, and knowledge, that while they live in your home, you're going to help them have a mission, a mate, and a master. Okay, so if you're looking on that page, you can see that it's a mission, mate, and master. So how do you help your kids find their purpose? You go, well, i got a four-year-old. Well, Already at that, you're beginning to help them make decisions and you're talking about God's will for their life and you're just, I mean, it's basic, basic stuff, but by the time that four-year-old is 18, do they know how to find their purpose? You know, Heidi, I was talking to Heidi like on the way here from my office Um, and she has this thing called Project Happy Hearts and it's like becoming famous, it's lighting up. She's in the Huffington Post, there's all these stories about her and stuff. And she had an open heart surgery on January 17th, not this year, but last year. And uh, it changed her life. So she started a a business. It's actually a business. She's getting her master's in the business school at uh, um, SC. But she started this business, and 20% of it goes back to children uh, with congenital heart problems. It's the coolest thing. But she's found her, her purpose. This is her purpose. She didn't know her purpose before her surgery, Okay, But she now knows her purpose, Okay, It's really a cool thing, Okay. Rebecca, my daughter Rebecca, she has just, again, her, she's found her purpose. She's 28 years old. She's um, one semester away from uh, completing a degree in clinical psych, and so she's counseling. It's funny, she's counseling at Vanguard. She goes to Azusa Pacific, but she's counseling at Vanguard. She has 12 clients, and she's found her purpose. She loves it. She has two suicidal clients that she is literally. She, came, she went in today when she didn't even have a, was, was not supposed to, but one of her suicidal clients is suicidal. And, and I just watch her eyes light up. And so even, you know, that's job, mission, purpose. My daughter Heidi, I mean, my daughter Christy teaches in the inner city. She's a junior high teacher at Willard Junior High in Santa Ana. And and I just, I watch her eyes light up. She says, this is my ministry. All of my kids, when they graduated from high school, I had no idea what they were going to do. I had no idea what their, they didn't know how to do purpose. But apparently, we helped them through the process, so then they have to figure it out kind of on their own. And none of those would be, well, I I always thought Becca was going to be a counselor because she always, you know, counseled us and, uh. Now she can get paid for it. But you know, I didn't know what they were gonna be. And if I told them you're gonna be a doctor, lawyer, teacher, youth pastor, whatever, that wouldn't have been as 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 important. See? And and then the same with mate. You're not gonna be able to choose your kids' mates. That ain't gonna happen unless you move to India or Pakistan. Okay, or I mean, and many other places. But you know, Middle East, certain places. But I'm just telling you, you're gonna to have to help them have the skills to make good and right decisions. So that's partly what you're parenting to it's the generations because your grandkids not that many of you are thinking about your grandkids right now you're just trying to get through thursday but your grandkids will partly do good or bad compared to how the parenting place takes place with your kids i mean that's not putting pressure on us but it kind of is okay and then master i mean guys we get so tied into so many things, but literally 85% of the people who make a commitment to Jesus Christ make it before age 18, or they never will. And a lot of the times they make it are here in middle school, even younger children, okay? They solidify it a lot of times in high school, but there's, we don't have very many conversions in high school. The conversions happen more in elementary and middle school, and, and so that's why it's so critical to have your kids, you know, tied into the church now, Okay. Now, when they get to a certain age, are they going to be bugged? Is it not going to be as cool? Sure it is. That's what happens a lot of, for a lot of them. You know, and in in, you know, my daughter Christy, who's totally loves this church and is totally involved, but she says in college, she had to disown her parents' faith to own her own faith. That was a scary time. See, but that's, that's okay because all of your kids will need to kind of go through that to, you know, kind of, at, right now, a lot of them are just owning your faith. But then eventually they're going to have to own their own faith. And to do that, they may have to like put some stuff aside. Okay? That's why it's so important to have your kids in children's ministry, youth ministry, you know, etc. So I threw a lot at you today. I threw a lot of just kind of general parenting issues. But again, the problem is, is that I ta- I, a lot of times I'll talk to parents and I'll say, so are you guys on the same page? And they go, absolutely not. And I say, have you ever read a book on parenting? And they'll go, well, no. Or the woman has said, I've read 12 books, but he won't read one. I get that. And I'm not saying that a book is the answer, but I'm saying, and you won't agree on everything. Kathy and I don't agree on everything in terms of some, some of the stuff I'm talking about today. But what I am saying is that um, if you can get mainly on the same page, that's a trait of a healthy marriage, and it's also the trait of a healthy family when you kind of get on the same page. So these kinds of things you want to get to how do you discipline let's try to discipline you know one of you is going to discipline a little stronger one of you is going to discipline a little you know a little bit softer okay so what you've got to do is try to negotiate so that you both discipline you you, at least you agree on most of the stuff okay and I always tell people buy one parent book a year and read it together (laughs) it's a lot of work and buy one marriage book you know what are we doing Okay, so that's, so what I did was I just gave you some general lessons in parenting, but in some ways, when you build a healthy foundation for your parenting, then your kids are not going to be as apt to do all the stuff that we've talked about the last three weeks. Okay, so let's take some Q&A. This, by the way, is the quietest group. I mean, what happened to, you know. Uh, Two parts are fine. Well, I don't think I think what you do. It's a great question, by the way. And most of us have, you know, typically if you have more than one kid, you kind of have one that's more compliant, one that's a little bit more strong-willed. I had also, I had three of your, your, uh, you know, older one here. Um, it's kind of what you guys can do. I mean, here's the, here's how I would handle the the clean room thing. At what what age is she? Nine. nine. So right at nine, there's certain things you got to say. Hey, look, at you're nine, so you got these rules, but. What we, I would get to pretty close around nine. Again, you're in the control stage still, so as you move to more of the coaching is to say, you can do with your room what you want. However, if we expect your bed made every day or your bed made three days a week, whatever you want to choose, and if it's not made, then here's the consequence, okay? And actually, with her, instead of doing it in the heat of the battle, do it sometime when she thinks she's, of course, she's going to make her bed every day because if she does it for the next month, she gets you know, an ice cream event or something. And if she doesn't, she gets, you know, to, something's removed. So she's going to go, oh, yeah, I can do that. You know, and then she's going to, you're going to, and pray that she messes up. Because then what you do is you go, I am so sorry. So we got to a place with our kids when they were in high school, much older than ninth grade, that we, because they were all your daughter, we said, Tuesdays and Sundays, your room needs to be clean. The rest of the time, please keep your door shut and don't let any live animals in the room for more than 24 hours. You know, that kind of a thing and we just kind of went you know that's it it's not going to i mean it drove us nuts and it drives Kathy crazy i mean it drove her t- totally crazy cuz she's more like your son but we just went we're not going to do with that when in that age level though i think it's a time where you do have to learn to say here's what we expect whatever you expect then it needs to happen you don't have to nag you just have to say then you you know parent more by consequences good and bad so then you say i am i'm sorry that, you know, because you didn't make your bed today. And they'll go, but I forgot. I'll go make it right now. You say, oh, that, that's great. You do need to make it right now because of what we, we said. And at the same time, you know, I doubt if you'll do it again because I am removing whatever that privilege was. And don't make it a huge privilege. The second time, you make it a little bit bigger print It's kind of called parenting by contract. So you're, you give her a contract. But the other thing is is, is give her a little bit of room Grace, you know we talked about this, give her a little bit of grace because, hey, this is going to be this kid. Her, when, she, when you go to her house one day, it's probably going to be a mess. When you go to her college uh, college bedroom, you're going to, oh, jeez, this is horrible. That's probably going to be her, but maybe not because you're going to teach her responsibility. The reason I took so much time on that, and we could talk about it more, is because that's a critical discipline issue for a lot of kids. So again, you're going to parent a nine-year-old, you're, and you're going to discipline a nine-year-old, and you're going to have expectations for a nine-year-old very different than you are for a 15-year-old Notice that I said for a 15-year-old, we had less expectations on that, much stronger expectations on relational type stuff, see? But um, if they're really young, then, you know, don't compare them to the compliant child, though, because again, they are going to fail every time. If, if you've got a compliant kid who's like fixing, you know, doing all that, I mean, they're going to have their problems with something else, but never play the comparison game, because it, it is not in her DNA to do what her little brother does. Good question, yeah. Could they be friends over there? <laughs> Honestly, i just I mean, she's gonna be twelve in April and it's just it's so hard to explain to her
1: that God has made her in in her own way and God yeah. has made him his own way, yeah. and she's just she constantly tells us, you know, well, why do I have to work so hard when he it's right. so easy for him? Yeah. And sh I, I just it's I we get torn on how to praise yeah. him without making her jealous. Yeah. It's a really
0: good question. And I don't have an easy answer. Because, you know, it, that's, she's going to live that way for the rest of her life in the sense of, you know, we all, we all play the comparison game, and every one of us lose. I mean, some of you are the most beautiful men and women in the world, you know, it looks like to me, but you're going to play the comparison game, and, well, I don't like my nose, or I don't like my lips, or, you know, I'm too fat, or I'm too skinny, and I'm going, you think you're too fat, look at me, or whatever, you know, you're just going to play that game. So with her, what, what you want to do is identify what she does well, because there's something she does well. It doesn't sound like it's going to be schoolwork or whatever. Now, she may end up doing great. I mean, I was her, you know, and I I have a PhD. And it's it's, literally, there's a greater miracle than Jesus walking on water that I went and got a PhD because I, at her age, I didn't do my homework. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was, you know, terrible. My wife, on the other hand, was just like, you know, your son, you know, the son. I mean, a compliant child who just did it and just bugged me. We went to college together. But find out what she does well. And praise her for that. And help her understand that she is, as you said it really well, that she is unique, she has unique and God-given abilities, and that she may have to work hard, but there's some other, there are people in the world who work really hard. They have her stuff, and sometimes they rule the world because they're just diligent. And you know, then there's kids, I'm not saying this about either one of your sons, but you know, there's other kids who um, are so cl- compliant, and they do great, and then they, you know, they kind of fade it. 19 or whatever it might be that that's not usually and usually compliant kids do great you know they're just great people okay I like compliant people I have none in my life my three daughters aren't <laughs> compliant my wife isn't compliant and I'm not compliant so we may have a great home um, but uh, but again focus on what she does well but also part of the and this is really important that you guys get this your children need to understand that they're going to struggle with stuff and they're going to struggle individually with different things and your your job isn't to make it all better for them your job is to help them understand. She's going to struggle with this perhaps at work. Maybe there's going to be somebody who's going to get a job raised because they're more talented or they got it easier or they're more compliant or they're the boss's kid or something. And she's going to go, what is that? Is that that's not fair. So what we teach our kids is this phrase, life's not fair. So, you know, and, and then I always play the game. I wouldn't, wa- you know, I would like, even, and I want to teach my kids this too, is, you know, we don't know what's in that family's shoes, I wouldn't necessarily want to walk in somebody else's shoes. They have more money, or they have more this, or they have more that, or they're smarter, or whatever, cute or whatever. I'm not sure I want to walk in their shoes, because there could be abuse in their family, or there could be other types of things. So really good question, yeah.